0: Well, good evening everyone. It is Colossians, the third chapter, where we want to begin in just a moment. If you'll be getting a Bible out, turning it to Colossians, chapter 3, that will be most appreciated on my end, and I think it will be most helpful on your side of things as we study together for these next few minutes, Colossians, chapter 3. It is great to see everybody tonight. I trust that you've had a pleasant afternoon. We've just certainly been blessed with just a, just a marvelous day, uh, a weather front and just a, just a good day of worship here at Lakeside. And I'll tell you, there's just no place that I'd rather be at the close of a, of a good Lord's Day like this than to be right here with God's people doing God's things and doing those in God's way, doing that in spirit and in truth. Three together tonight in Colossians, the third chapter. I'm looking here at verse number 23. In Colossians 3 and in verse 23, Paul says here, "...whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ." It's certainly an appropriate verse to read and to be thinking about considering that in our country tomorrow is Labor Day. Thinking for just a minute about labor and about work, if I were to ask everybody here who works to raise their hand right now, what would happen? Well, what would happen is we would just have a sea of hands coming up one by one. Because that number would certainly include all of you who work nine to five jobs in the public sector and you're going to go punch in and you going to punch out and going to do all that stuff here in the coming week. But that number would not just include those folks. That number would be expanded to include others. That number would also include, for example, it would include women who maybe work in the home that are housewives or stay-at-home moms. Those folks, contrary to popular opinion, they're working. They are working very, very hard in that vocation. And then, of course, there are folks as well who may be retired from secular employment, but... But they do volunteer work. They maybe go and volunteer at the hospital or volunteer in some other charitable organization. And so they're doing work. And then even as well, we could even add to that number our kids. Kids, you can actually raise your hand and say that you too are working. When you go to school, you're going to do school work. Your parents or your teachers, they're going to send home to you and to your parents some home work. And so in the end, as we think about all of that, in the final analysis... All of us, in one capacity or another, are involved in some kind of work. So what I want to ask this evening is, what do you think about that? What do you think about your work? How do you view your work? What kind of attitude do you have about working? Do you view working simply just as a drudge? It's just such a bind and a grind on your time and your life? Is that something you're just kind of slopping through, just hurrying up to get it done with so that you can get that paycheck and get to the weekend? There's certainly lots of varying views and opinions about work these days. One fellow said this. He said, if you choose a job you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I like that. I like that a lot. In fact, I feel very blessed to be able to say that about myself and about the work that I do. And I hope that some of you can sympathize and you can say the very same thing about your work. Another fellow said, he said, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who do the work and those who take the credit. Try to be the guy in the first group, there is much less competition in that group. And we know that to be certainly true in our day and time. There's lots of different views and ideas about work, but really what I'm most interested in this evening is, what is God's view of work? What is the Lord's assessment of working and working in a vocation and at a job? God is certainly not shy about saying something about work and labor. In fact, we just read a passage that talked about work in Colossians, the third chapter. Which is why for these next few minutes this evening, I hope we'll find this as being a timely and appropriate time of the year to talk about this subject. I just want to search the Scriptures. And I want to further understand the Lord's perspective on work. And on labor. Because when we do that, what we are going to find is that God's view of work and labor it really doesn't sound anything like what the world says about work and labor. And I hope that that will be of particular interest to you. I think often about Romans chapter 12 and in verse 2. And that's a passage that I hope really is a a foundational passage for us that talks about, Do not be conformed to this world but instead be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That passage talks about how we are to be different from this world. And sometimes we struggle with the application of that. You know, what does it mean to be different from the world? And we could go in a number of different directions with that, but tonight, I want us to think about how we can make application of Romans 12 and in verse 2 by having a different outlook a different attitude, a different mindset about work, a different mindset about labor than the rest of the world that is around us. We have the opportunity, I truly believe, that through our work we have the opportunity to shine the light of Jesus Christ, to glorify God even in our jobs. But that will only happen if we have the right attitude about it. And so this evening what I want to do is I want to begin by sharing with you Two important truths about work, and then I'm going to follow that up by telling you one big lie about work, and then I want to try to make some very direct, pointed applications about how it is that we should view work and why it is that we even do that. And so, let's just go back to the very beginning. Would you find in your Bible the Book of Genesis in Genesis chapter one? I think it's always just helpful whenever we can trace things all the way back to their origins and. That is no exception here when we talk about work. Would you look in Genesis chapter 1? Let's just begin right there in the very beginning. Genesis 1 and in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's just start right here. Truth number 1, just based out of Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, and that is that God created work. There's an old song back from during the Depression era. Some of you may know this song and you may not want to admit that you know this song because that may be saying something about how old you are. I remember though hearing this song, it was in the movie, O Brother, Where Art Thou? And I heard it and I heard some of the lines from it and I just had to know what the lyrics of this song were. The song is called Big Rock Candy Mountain. You may know that song. And it's a song that talks and describes a hobo's paradise. And in that song, there's all kinds of fanciful lyrics about the hobo's paradise, Big Rock Candy Mountain. It's a place where cigarettes grow on trees. It's a place where lakes are full of whiskey and streams of alcohol. It's a place where there's no shovels and no picks, meaning there's no work. And you just sleep all day. That's what makes Big Rock Candy Mountain such a wonderful place. And then there's a line in that song. This was the line that really jumped out at me. There's a line that says, And they hung the jerk... Who invented work. Hung the jerk who invented work. Boy, that would be a hobo's paradise, wouldn't it? And you know what I think about that? Hung the jerk who invented work. That rhymes pretty well. But you know, if you really want to try and do that, try to string up and hang the guy who invented work, that means you'll be trying to hang God. Because God is the one who created work. In fact, look at the fifth word in the Bible. The fifth word in the Bible is a work word, created. God was doing work in the beginning. In the beginning, God was doing tremendous work. And of course, we know the story. Six days, God did this work, and then on the seventh day, He rested. Well, what did He rest from? Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Verse 2 now. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. In fact, I want to submit to you that not only was God working, but He actually, when He created human beings, when He created Adam and Eve, He had some work that He wanted them to do. Keep reading in chapter 2, verse 15 now. Then the Lord God took the man and He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. What about that? Even in the Garden of Paradise, there was work to do. God had a job for Adam and Eve to do. Actually, now as I think about it, Genesis 2.15 was actually a command for them to do yard work. Ugh! You all know how I feel about yard work and mowing the grass and all that kind of stuff. I'm not personally fond of all of that, but it was work that God instructed them to do. And so what we're seeing here right from the very beginning of the Bible is that not only did God make work, but He made us for work. And if you think that that's just kind of, you know, some kind of an anomaly, well that's yeah, it's just in Genesis, you're not really going to find that anywhere else in the Bible. You'd be sadly mistaken. Would you fast forward all the way to the end? We don't have time to just read everything in between, but just jump all the way to the end. Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation chapter 22, what we find is that even in heaven, there is going to be some form of work. In Revelation 22, I'm reading here in verse 3. In Revelation 22 and in verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Notice this. And His servants will worship Him. Most other translations say His servants will serve Him. Think about that that even in heaven, there's going to be some measure of service. There's going to be some kind of laboring and ministering that's being done right there around the throne of God. Now, don't anybody go home this evening and start thinking, boy, I don't want to go to heaven. I thought that was going to be a rest, an eternal rest. I don't have to worry about work anymore. No, that's not the idea there. In heaven, we're not going to be chopping cotton, or laying asphalt, or hammering shingles into a roof on a hot summer day. But there is. There is going to be a productive need for us in heaven to continue to serve and to minister and to do. God has created us to be productive. He has created work to fill that need in our lives. Now, if we just stopped right there, Think about how that view, just that one point, how that is radically different. How that would reshape our thinking about work from the way the world thinks about work. That is so different from what our world says. Our world hates work. It loathes the idea of working. Our world is always trying to push work away. God says we need to be working. And furthermore, truth number two, God honors people who work. God honors people who work hard. What an interesting contrast, once again, that is to the prevailing thought in our world and more specifically in our country today. You know, it used to be that people took a great amount of pride in their work. Think of all the things that people used to do and really just don't do all that much anymore. People would handcraft their own furniture and their own stuff. People would sew together their own clothes. People would go out to the garden and they would grow their own food. In fact, speaking about that big rock candy mountain back during the Depression times, in Depression times, people who had a job, they were proud just to have a job. What a change has come over our country during the last hundred years or so. Because people today, by and large, you don't want to work. People don't take pride in their work. The idol in our world has become pleasure. And since we're all about pleasure and having fun, we want to do everything that we can to not have to work, to get off of work so that we can go do our fun and have our pleasure. One fellow said, Most people, most people work just hard enough to keep from getting fired. And they earn just enough money to keep from quitting. Well, that's, that's such a low, what a low standard has been set. What a miserable view of work in this life. But I'm saying to you this evening, God honors work. God honors those who will work. Have you ever noticed in the Bible just how many people God calls to do His work and He calls them while they were working themselves? Think about Moses. What was Moses doing whenever God called to him from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3? He was tending to the flocks. He was a shepherd. He was tending to the sheep. What about Saul? When Saul was called to be a king, what was he doing in 1 Samuel chapter 11? He was plowing in the field with his arms. David, when he began to serve the purposes of God in his day and time, he also was a shepherd tending to his father's flocks. Jesus in the New Testament, when he calls Matthew to come and to be an apostle, what is Matthew doing? Matthew, in Matthew 9 and verse 9, Matthew's actually sitting there at the table collecting taxes. He's doing work. And of course, maybe most notably about those apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, what were they doing? They were mending their nets, and actually they end up leaving their nets behind to follow Jesus, Mark chapter 1 tells us, because they were working. They were fishermen. In fact, if you look in Mark chapter 6, I want you to notice something Here's a, a little known verse, or at least it's just not a verse that gets an all, awful lot of attention. It's a verse about Jesus, and it appears from Mark chapter 6 that Jesus worked. Now, certainly Jesus did His Father's work, God's work, while He was here on this earth. But it appears as if Jesus also did what we would consider secular work. In Mark chapter 6, it would appear that even just for, maybe even if it was just for a short time, that Jesus learned His Father's trade. In Mark chapter 6, look in verse 3. The people said, as they were looking at Jesus, they said, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Now, the parallel account to that passage is in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55 where the people said, is not this the carpenter's son? But the text in Mark chapter 6 and in verse 3, it is extremely well attested. And it may well reflect that Jesus, He wasn't just a carpenter's son, but that He Himself was a carpenter. That, you know, this guy, as we look at him, this guy, this guy's just a working man. You know, Look at his hands. He's not anything special. Why should we listen to him? That's the tenor of what the people are saying. In fact, that term carpenter, that word carpenter, you should know. What it describes is it describes someone who does manual labor, not just with wood, but with metal and with stone. In fact, there is a tradition from around the 2nd century. It's not a This isn't biblical. It's just a tradition that was handed down uh, orally. But there's a tradition that says that Jesus made plows and yokes and other implements of farm work, other farm instruments. Now... Let me just say again, that may not be so, that's not found in the Bible, that, that may be something just, something, somebody just completely made up. But you have to know that there was lots of people who knew Jesus, lots of stories about Jesus that circulated from the people who knew Him. And maybe that does reflect what Mark chapter 6 and verse 3 is saying, is not this the carpenter? That He was a carpenter, and Jesus understood. He understood firsthand about work and about labor. And then one more in this connection, in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, there's no question about this guy, the guy that we know as the Apostle Paul. In Acts 18, this is the account of Paul in Corinth. And he is by himself here, and so he ends up having to do some work in order to support himself and to keep doing what he's doing. In Acts 18, look in verse 3. It says that because he was of the same trade as Aquila and Priscilla, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. What all of these examples help us to see is that work is honored by God. Because people who work hard are the kind of people God looks down at. He says, you know what, I can use that person. See somebody who's got a good work ethic like that, I can use them in my service for greater and more important things. And by the way, if you maybe have not already read the front page of the bulletin from this morning, I hope that you realize that some of the most scathing rebukes in all of Scripture... Are given to those people who are lazy and who will not work. Would you look in the book of Proverbs with me? Notice just a couple of times in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 6. In Proverbs chapter 6, as the wise man talks here about observing the ant and just the wisdom and the the work ethic of the ant and the things that we can learn from that, he then says in verse 9, in Proverbs 6 and in verse 9, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Living off of welfare doesn't get you anything in the book of Proverbs, does it? In fact, just turn over maybe a page or two to Proverbs chapter 10. In Proverbs 10 and in verse 4, the wise man says there, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Verse 5, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son... But he who sleeps in harvest, guy who's not working, he is a son who brings shame. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of smarts to realize that the world's attitudes about work are far removed from God's attitude, God's perspective. I believe any person who is willing to work, no matter how you know, menial we may deem the job to be, That person is to be commended. That person is to be respected. That person is worthy of honor. That includes includes just anybody. That would include our kids whenever they go to school and they do their schoolwork well. That would include a woman who stays at home and attends to the affairs of that home and raising children. That includes anyone who views work and labor as being an opportunity. It's a blessing from God. It's not some terrible curse that's been put upon me. It's a blessing from God and God will bless the one who will work. And I want to say to you tonight that those two truths, they need to undergird everything that we are as it pertains to work. Those two truths need to undergird our entire attitude about work and about our job and our vocation which would then lead me to say a word about this lie. I believe there is a big lie that we need to be on the watch out for, and that is this. And that's the lie that says you are what you do. That your work, your job, your vocation, that is what defines who you are. Folks, that is a big, fat lie. Now, I want to say again, work is important. There's no doubt about that. Work comes from God. God honors those who will work, but we need to be very, very careful. And we need to not let that get out of hand. I want to especially maybe just say this to our men right now. Men, we ought to pay particular attention to this idea here. You know, you get a bunch of men standing around and they're all introducing themselves to one another. In about six seconds or so, eventually some man is going to say, what do you do? Hi, I'm Josh McKibben. What do you do? That's kind of one of those first things we're just always shooting out there. And then what do we reply? I'm a doctor, or I'm a banker, or I'm a builder, or I'm an accountant, or I'm an electrician, or I'm a preacher, or I run my own business. Okay, think about this. If we define ourselves in that way, can I ask you, what happens when we get laid off from our jobs? What happens when maybe we get injured or we become disabled and we can't continue in our jobs? What happens if you're fired or the company shuts down and you can't work at that job anymore? What are you then? Are you just a big nobody? Because you can't say, you know, I'm a, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. I don't have a job and so now I'm, now I just don't have any identity at all. I want you to know, that's not just idle talk. There are people. I know people personally who have serious mental problems. I know people who have gotten depressed because maybe they got laid off from the job. Or maybe they did reach retirement age and they retired and they just went crazy. They didn't know how to conduct themselves in life. Why? Because they defined themselves by their job. They defined their entire life by what they did for a living. And since they don't have this job anymore, well, now I just don't feel like I'm worth anything. Now I'm just nothing. You and I, You and I need to be very, very careful with that. Because while work is important, I'll emphasize that again, I want to say to you, it is not the ultimate thing in life. Say it again, work is important, but it's not of the ultimate importance. Look at Ecclesiastes 2, please. In Ecclesiastes 2, the wise man Solomon discovered this. You remember in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he's just looking and searching and he's testing and he's doing all kinds of things to try to figure out what really matters in life. What is this all about? And so he says, I did a little bit of experimenting in Ecclesiastes 2 and in verse 4. He says, I made great works and I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself and I made myself gardens and parks and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. And I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. And I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered also for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. Now, there's a lot going on in that text, I realize that. But a big part of what's going on there, Solomon says, he says, I went to work. I did. I went to work big time. I started building stuff. Had all these plans and projects that I started setting into motion. I got me a big old team of people who helped me out with all of those projects. Then verse 9, I became great. And I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. I did all this stuff. All these great things happened. In verse 11, Then I considered, thought about it, reflected about it. I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. It was a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. What Solomon shows us is that yes, there is value to work. But there is not ultimate value to work. We need to remember that. We need to remember that so that our work does not define us. We must strike an important balance in our lives. I must see my work and my job as being important. It is necessary. It's been given to me by God. I must do that. But I cannot let it define who I am. What is it that defines me? When somebody asks, you know, "Who are you? Who am I?" When I ask myself that question, I tell you what you need to be defined as. I want to be defined as a child of God. That's my identity. My identity, it flows from who I am in Jesus Christ, not what I do for a living. Do we understand that? everybody on the same page with that, everybody in agreement with that? I sure hope so. Now understanding those two truths and that one big lie. Let's then make some applications from that. Let's think about why it is that we work. Why do we do that? Why does God want us to do that? Tomorrow morning, or, well, Labor Day, so a lot of us may be off work. We're going to get the day off. Tuesday morning, we're going to get up, and we're going to fight traffic, fight this terrible Somerset traffic on Highway 27, and we're going to go to our place of work, and we're going to do our job. Why are we doing that? Think about that. Why am I doing this? What's the point of all of that? Well, let me suggest to you several reasons here in rapid succession as to why we work. Number one, we work. We work to provide for ourselves and for our families. The Bible teaches that very, very plainly. Would you look in 2 Thessalonians, please? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul had to write this second letter to this congregation because they had some folks there who weren't Working. Some folks who were being idle, and it was causing problems and disruptions in the congregation. And so he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, I'm reading in verse 10, he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, that if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul then kind of emphasizes it again there at the end of verse 12. He says people need to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That passage, that passage is increasingly out of touch with a society, the society that we live in, that has engineered a giant welfare system whereby people don't have to work. You don't have to do what Paul talked about there. You know, I think it's interesting. Isn't it interesting that in God's civil state Israel isn't it interesting the welfare program that God had set up in Israel you remember what it was called it was called gleaning and if you wanted to eat what that meant is that it meant, that meant you still had to get out and you had to work you still had to go out and you had to gather you had to gather what was left over from the things in the harvest gleaning that's what that was it was gathering the things that were left in the fields there was no free lunches For those who would not work. That's the way God set it up in Israel. And so what I'm saying tonight is that when we go to our jobs, what we are doing is we are earning a living to carry out this command that we're given in 2 Thessalonians. To provide for our needs, for the needs of our family, so that we are not a big burden to others. We're not a burden to the state. We're not a burden even to the church. We go to work so that we can provide for ourselves. Work serves then as a conduit for God's provisions. Secondly then, we work, we work so that we can help those who cannot help themselves. I believe this is well articulated in Ephesians the fourth chapter. Would you turn there in Ephesians four? The apostle Paul, he contrasts work with stealing. It should seem obvious that we shouldn't steal. Don't be a thief. But Paul, I think, wants to make an even greater point. It's not just about don't steal. In Ephesians chapter four, look in verse 28. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. We we get that. Yeah. People shouldn't steal. They should work. They should do honest labor, earn an honest living. But Paul didn't stop the verse there. Look what he goes on to say. Why do we do that? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, there's a novel concept. Sharing. You know, we try to teach that to our kids when they're really young about how they need to share. Somewhere along the way, though, we just we kind of forget about all of that. You know, there are going to be people, despite what we sometimes tell ourselves, there are going to be people who, for very legitimate reasons, they're not going to be able to work. They're not going to be able to support for themselves and support for their family. Those are people who are legitimately, truly in need. I preached about that just a few weeks ago. There are people who are truly needy in our world, probably, I'm sure, even in this very community. Well, who's going to support those people? Who's going to help those people? Who's going to try to take care of those people? Well, Ephesians 4.28 says very clearly who's going to do that. We will. Christians. Those of us who work, we will then have something that we can share with them. Do Do you ever think about that? When you get your paycheck or when that money is direct deposited into your account at the end of the week, does the thought ever enter your mind, hey, now I have enough money to help other people. I must confess to you, that thought does not enter my mind nearly enough. Do you see how the world's view of work and God's view of work, they they really start diverging big time here. What's the world think about whenever they get their paycheck? Oh, this is mine. It's my money. I work for this. I earn this. I'm going to spend this however I see fit. I'm going to spend it on my pleasures and my wants and my desires. It's my money. But the Christian, the Christian works and says something entirely different. The Christian says, look at this. Look at what I've been blessed with. I have something, first of all, to provide for me and for my family, for our needs. But I also now have something that I can share with others who are in need. There could hardly be a greater gap in God's way of thinking and the world's way of thinking. Thirdly then, would you notice, we also work to support the work of Christ's church. You'd find Philippians 4, this is probably the best place to illustrate this. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes to this congregation of people who he just, he loves so very much. And one of the things that he commends them for is the fact that they had financially supported the work of the kingdom. Specifically, they had financially supported him and in his preaching of the gospel. Notice what he says about that in Philippians 4 in verse 15. Paul says, And you, Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, Depending on what translation you're reading from this evening, the word fellowship in verse 15, that might be how it's rendered in your Bible, but in the Bible that I'm reading from, from the English Standard Version, the word that's used is the word partnership. You know what? That's what fellowship means. It means partnership. And I do like that translation very, very much. Have you ever thought about yourself as being a partner in the gospel? Whenever you give to the local church, Whenever those collection baskets are passed by on Sunday morning and all that money is piled in there, where does that money come from? Well, it comes from working men and working women who give back to the Lord from the blessings that have been bestowed upon them. And when you do that, whether you consciously realize that or not, when you do that, you then become a partner. A partner in the work of this local church. Whenever you maybe... Go back there in the bulletin board. And you read those letters from those men who are preaching the gospel in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world. Those men that uh, keep us up to date about the things that they're doing and the work that's going on and the places where they live. Many times we read those things and we say, Boy, that's just, that's just wonderful. That's great. God must be so pleased with those good men. And That's true. But guess what? God is pleased with you as well. And Why? Because you're a partner in that. You are partnering in the work that those men are doing in other parts of the world. And don't forget as well that you are also a partner in this local work. You know, it's awful nice that we have lights, isn't it? It's awful nice during these hot summer months when we have air conditioning in the church building. It's awful nice to have comfortable pews to sit in while we're worshiping. It's nice to have PowerPoint projectors. We're able to follow along with the thoughts of the lesson. It's nice to have workbooks for our classrooms as we teach our children. It's nice as well to have a preacher who can devote his time full-time to studying and to preparing lessons from the Word of God. You need to be reminded of that, that you are partnering in all of those efforts. And whenever we work, whenever we receive wages from the work that we do in our jobs, that then enables us to partner with one another as we partner with the Lord in the work of His kingdom. That's awesome. That's just amazing to think about, that we get to share in that. And then fourthly, we work. We work in order to exercise stewardship of the ability that God has given us. Do you notice with me very quickly in Matthew chapter 25? In Matthew 25, this is Jesus' parable of the talents. And it is always worth reminding everyone that when the Bible uses the word talent here, it's not talking about a talent like... Cody has a talent to lead singing. Josh has a talent to get up and speak publicly the Word of God. That's not the kind of talent being talked about here. A talent, as it's used here in Matthew 25, is describing a sum of money. That's important to remember. But I want you to notice what Jesus says in Matthew 25. Look with me beginning in verse 14. He says, For it will be like a man, talking about the kingdom, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two talents, and to another one... And to another one talent, to each, notice this, to each according to his ability. I think that's the operative phrase in the parable that we want to key in on. Because in the very same way, God has given to us, each one of us, ability, a measure of ability. Namely, tonight we're talking about the ability to work, the ability to labor. And if God has given you the ability to work and to labor so that you can provide for your family and for yourself, if God has given you the ability to work and labor so that you can share with those who are in need, if He's given you the ability to work and to labor to to support the work of the local church, then the question is, what should you do with that ability? Should you just sit on it? Maybe sleep on it? Should you maybe just not ever use that ability? I don't want to mess it up, so I'll just not do anything with that ability. Should you just lay around and allow that ability to essentially go to waste? Now the answer to all those questions, of course, is no. And why? Because that's not good stewardship. That's not good stewardship of all. It's not good stewardship of the ability that God has given us to work. You see, once again, how God's view about things, the world's view of things, is just so, so different. The world says, I just do enough to barely get by. That ought to be good enough. But the Christian, the Christian says, I want to show the Lord that I am a good steward of what He has blessed me with. That He has blessed me with the ability. He's blessed me with good health. He's blessed me with the opportunity to work. I want to be a good steward of that ability. And then finally this evening, why do we work? Well, we work, we work so that we can bring honor and glory to God. And that, of course, is the text that we started with in Colossians 3. Would you turn back there? In Colossians chapter 3, let's just actually back up a verse and get a little bit more context. In Colossians chapter 3, look in verse 22. In Colossians 3 and in verse 22, Paul writes there, slaves, bond servants, depending on your translation, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And so then, he says, verse 23, that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. By what we do, by how we do it, by the different attitude that we demonstrate in our work, what we are doing is we are showing to the world that we have a very different understanding about labor. We show the world as well who it is that we're really working for, what we're saying to them not be saying these actual words, but our actions and our attitudes are demonstrating it. We're saying to them, we work for the Lord. That's who who we're really working and serving to please. We're trying to bring honor and glory to Him and to His cause and to His things. We're trying to do that in everything that we do. And that includes our work because He's the Master. He is Lord. And I tell you, that mindset, that thinking, that just really changes how we work, doesn't it? Imagine, for example, Imagine it's time for your yearly, your annual performance review. You come into the office and sitting there behind the desk is Jesus Christ. He's going to give you your performance assessment. Boy, that really changes things, doesn't it? That really changes how we then think about our jobs and what it is that we're doing. Or if at the beginning of the day when we go to to clock in, imagine that Jesus is standing right there by the time clock and Jesus asks, what are you going to do today? How are you going to do that today? Boy, that would really change how you work, wouldn't it? Young people, I try to always make this point when it gets to the beginning of a school, new school year. What if Jesus, what if Jesus was your teacher at school? He's the one standing up in front of the class. He's the one there at the chalkboard and behind the desk and doing all the teaching stuff. But how, how would you approach your idea of schoolwork and homework then? Would you still maybe do it kind of half-heartedly and sloppily? Would you moan and complain and groan about that at every single turn? I'd sure like to think that if Jesus was the one that I was turning my homework into or I was turning that test into, I'd like to think I'd be a little bit more diligent about my studies and about the effort that I'm putting into that schoolwork. What a transformational idea Colossians 3 is presenting to us. That I work for the Lord. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm not an eye service, I'm doing this to impress everybody else sort of thing. I'm working for God. I'm seeking His approval. He's the one at the end of the day that's really going to have to say about this. And as verse 23 reminds us, I love what verse 23 says. Whatever you do. This isn't just for certain people who do certain kinds of work. You know, know, preachers, people who do work in the church, people who do work in the Lord's kingdom. No, no, no. Whatever you do, whether that's working in the office, whether that's working at school, whether that is working at home, whether that's working in a factory, whether that's working as a, as a volunteer somewhere, Christians are to have just a completely different mindset than the world does about work because just like everything else that we do in life, we're doing it to try to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. You know, The world sees work in very selfish sorts of terms. What can I get out of that? How can I use this and maybe the money that I'm going to... How can I use all of this for myself? How can I maybe get out of working just as fast as I possibly can so I can go back to doing what I really want to do? That's not the way the Christian sees things. The Christian sees work as being about a whole lot more than just a paycheck and a pension. The Christian sees it about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.25 Now, when you look at all of that, when you put all that together, that's just a really, really different view from how the world thinks about work. But you know what? That understanding, that comes from the Bible. That comes from the mind of God. That comes from a biblical understanding and viewpoint and we want to then fine-tune our thinking and our attitude so that it is brought into harmony with what God says about work. Let's not become Let's not become like the world around us. Let's not become so callous and jaded about work. We're all down in the mouth about it, always talking bad about it. People around us, they're always just complaining about that. Ah, Mondays. I hate the Mondays. Say all these derogatory things. I have to go to work. Working for the man. Believe me. Trust me. I like the jokes. I'm fine with saying don't ever make a joke about that. There's a place for all of that. I like those jokes as much as the next guy. I like the one about how, you know, if, if, if you work your fingers to the bone, what do you get? You get bony fingers. Always game for a really terrible pun. But the Scripture tells us, the Scripture tells us, that if you work hard, if you do your work honorably, if you do your work with integrity, what do you get? What you get is the approval of the heavenly Father. And I'm saying that that's worth working for. Now, if you get your songbook out, if you're using a songbook, book, you're getting ready to sing the song that's been selected, as a song of invitation, let me tell you about something that you can't work for we extend the invitation of the you. Lord. You cannot, You cannot work and somehow earn your salvation in Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. And the reason for that is, is because the Bible says that salvation, it is is the gift of God, Romans tells us. It is God's gift to us. That's what that idea of grace and favor and mercy is all about. We have to just freely accept that gift. And we do do that in faith. We do that by confessing Jesus as Lord. We do that by repenting and turning from our sins. We do that by being immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Just because we do those things doesn't mean that we've somehow earned and worked for our salvation. It simply means that we've been obedient to the Lord's commands. But you know what? When we come up out of that water, we are created for work. The Bible tells us that we are God's workmanship. We have been created for good works. Coming up out of that water, that's just the the beginning. That's the beginning of a whole new life. Serving the Lord. Doing His things. Living for Him in all that we say and all that we think and in all that we do. Is there somebody here tonight who has yet to become a Christian? But you're ready to do that. You understand about that. You understand about salvation. You understand what is it you need to do to accept the mercy and grace of God. What are you waiting for? This is a wonderful opportunity to be a child of God tonight. That's what your identity can be. Be identified as a child of God. If you are a Christian and you're not living right, if there's sin in your life, it may even be some of the things we talked about tonight, just have bad attitudes about work and being conformed to the way of the world and the way the world thinks about stuff. Brother or sister, you need to repent of that. Get that fixed. Hope some of these things tonight would help with that. But if you need the prayers and the encouragement of your spiritual family here, then we're, we're ready to help you and support you in whatever way that we can tonight. If there's anybody tonight who is uh, who is ready to respond to the invitation of our Lord, the Lord has been merciful to allow the world to stand, to allow you to have life and breath and health in your body, to see and live this very moment, why don't you seize the opportunity? Would you do that right now? Make your way down front while we stand and while we sing.